Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Safari Steve and today we have a really awesome, magnificent person that has achieved a lot in his life. This is WD... did I get it? WD Kill Pack. Welcome to the show, dude. Hey, thanks for having me. How you been? Oh, doing well. It's a lot of uh, exciting things happening, like this, and... Uh, I had some other interviews that have been coming online recently and getting some good reviews that are uh, driving some traffic for some of my books. There's some exciting things going on. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of uh, a lot of people posting reviews, a lot of good reviews it looks like. It seems like your books are like top notch. Like they're really getting uh, get people really into it. Well, the the critics have been awesome and I have no complaints about the critics and uh, now I have talked to some other writers that when I tell them that then uh, I literally had somebody say that uh, well then you haven't had enough people read your books and I did have one negative review came, come in that uh, I was like well okay there it is and but in general they've been very positive and that is um, tumbling really it just having having people who have one that they get it and then also just that they appreciate it and they enjoy it and that sort of thing is just really so incredibly gratifying and I just had somebody post on Instagram recently about it was a meme about how uh, you finish reading and realize that the rest of the world has continued going uh, while you have been emotionally traumatized by a novel and then it uh, tagged me on that so i love that sort of thing where the you get that emotional response that visceral response i love that was that one for your uh is it a new book pale face um that review was actually for my first book uh, that was posted on uh, instagram it was a comment that was about my first book crown prince and that uh, just someone just posted that last night as a matter of fact so i haven't shared it anywhere but uh, but I have four books that are out. Three of them are epic fantasy, and they're the first three of eight in the New Blood Saga. And that's Crown Prince, Order of Light, and Demon Seed. And then I have a sci-fi novella, which is Pale Face. And that has been getting, uh, recently has been getting a fair amount of attention, which it had already won a uh, honorable mention with L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future, which is cool that took me years to get anything there um, but I had a, a, a author who reviewed it real well and then uh, that stimulated some interest and so there's been a little bit of excitement around Paleface recently right on when I uh, when I saw when I was glimpsing Paleface I haven't read it yet but when I when I looked at the cover and I read the description I is it based so how's it can, you, can I ask, how is it sci-fi? Well, it's sci-fi because what happens is that the main character, uh, Hector Whitehorse, is, uh, well, he, he was raised on a reservation and uh, in New Mexico. And what happens is that he has what I call sort of a uh, interstellar traffic accident. He gets hit by a UFO. 
Oh, okay. And so it ha- takes place in current time, you know, present, in the present. And I even, before publishing it, I updated it to include COVID. Oh, cool. And okay. so there's dates. A bunch of the chapters are, have dates because it goes through, you know, it passes over a number of years in the, in the story. And the last date listed was the date that I submitted the final document for publication. Oh, so it, it pretty much plays out. So if you end up writing more and more, it leads into like the future. It, it could. And so with that, then because he gets hit by a UFO, then all of this stuff, it does touch on some things like the, the uh, conspiracy kind of stuff with, with uh, alien, uh, oh, the presence of aliens, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that this unlikely character is the proof. Okay. And so it goes through and it talks about that and a lot of the, the politics and the people that uh, don't want uh, don't want people to know about him because that goes against a lot of different beliefs, whatever they might be. And uh, there's government involvement and just it's a it's a novella so it's it's definitely shorter than my other books but it uh, you know it has some punch how long have uh, how long have you been writing paleface well the original draft i actually wrote when i was in college and i wrote the original draft and then uh i submitted it to l ron hubbard's writers of the future and got nothing and they made a few comments and then i made changes and then entered it again and i did this like five times over like five six years and then it finally uh eventually uh it got honorable mention and then i got a a in-depth review which was pretty amazing for that and the rest of my writing by uh dave wolverton who was the head judge and he's done a lot of work in in sci-fi and fantasy did you end up taking this book or the the other three books too i heard there's like a I don't know what they call it. Not a Comic-Con, but like the uh, AuthorCon. Well, in Utah, they do have uh, a convention, the FanX, that I tried to get into last year, but uh, especially with COVID, then pretty much everything was booked a full year in advance because when they didn't run it, then everybody just kind of got bumped a year. And so I was way too late to, to get space, but I still went and I printed bookmarks and went around and and I was handing out bookmarks and got to meet uh, one of one of the, one of my favorite authors and he was there at the main author booth and oh. so that was pretty cool and I don't geek out very often but I did and it was embarrassing and talking to him and, and uh, getting tongue-tied and he just sat there very patiently, and I finally just told him, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm geeking out. This is not like me. And he says, oh, been there. And talk, and he told me a story about how, when he was doing that with another author. and But I just explained to him how a lot of the stuff that he wrote influenced me because he pushed the envelope, especially uh, when I was a teenager. He was doing stuff that nobody had done. And I can remember reading his work and just sitting back and go saying, whoa, you can do that? And 
yeah, he was just doing stuff. He was pushing, pushing the social norms and that sort of thing that you just didn't see at that time. And so, uh, one of the, over time with reflecting on his writing, it got to where I realized that if you're not pushing the envelope, you may not be being very original. Yeah, yeah. And I told him that this, I told him all this, and he just sat back and looked at me and his eyes got kind of wide. And he said, yeah. His name's S.M. Sterling, is the, the author. I've heard him. Yeah, and he's he's been around forever, done a lot of stuff. And then he took out his laptop, and he asked me why I was there, and I handed him a bookmark. And he went, <gasps> and then he pulled out his laptop and pulled up. At that time, I only had two books out, and he pulled them both up, and he said, done. And so that was pretty cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Especially having that with someone that you... Look up? Is it looked up? Look up to, or just someone you just? Well, yeah, he love. just. I I enjoyed I, his his books, and he just the one book in particular was that two of the main characters is uh, it's a lesbian couple. I had never seen that, and in uh, you know in a, in a fantasy novel, and so that was one of those things. I was like, whoa, you can do that? That's okay. That's allowed. And it. it he was just very uh, pushing a lot of those things that now I think that a lot of people, to a certain extent, people take it for granted. But at that time when I was a teenager, it was unheard of. It was it, it was different. I, a lot of the growing up, so I don't know everything like from the like the nineties and before, and it's like little hit and miss as you see here and there, and they fade away. It was there, and but it would a lot of times it was like an insinuation. Okay. And it's one of those things that if you were in the know, then you'd know. Okay. And because then they could come back and say, "Well, that's not what we meant." They'd have deniability, and so it was it was a lot more subtle, I guess is the word for it. And so that was one of those things that uh, now, you know, you can be a lot more upfront about it, which is good. You know, that there's definitely aspects of society that were not being included that now, you know, are. And that's that's a good thing. Kind of an open season of uh, trying out and experimenting with not just uh, uh, writing, but in creativity. Well, I guess the same thing. Uh, it's awesome. Like, yeah. you're being, people are able to really express themselves in more than one way right right and then part of my geeking out was that so i spoke to him and then we're leaving and i was there with a buddy who's a photographer he's a professional photographer and he said well why didn't you get a picture and i said why didn't you bring it up mr photographer and so then we went back and got a picture and it didn't turn out and so then uh i had to go back a third time <laughs> and say can i get a picture again the other one didn't show you know so now i'm just feeling uh, annoying well hoping i'm not being annoying but yeah. uh you know just one of those things where meeting somebody that i look up to and not having the uh not having it go how i had intended <laughs> i've i've been there not with like people i really looked up to or anything like that but like i've met um 
Governor Herbert and then David Archuleta. But when I go up to them, it's like, what do I say to them? They're they're probably like, okay, I've heard that before. It's really nice to meet you. I really look up to you. It's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Or they're in the zone and they're like, it's like they have their normal response. And then they, I don't know. Well, And some people, especially if they're famous, then a lot of times the there are people who, you know, they, it's almost like an inconvenience to have fans. And then there are others who I think really appreciate the support and having people come up and, and speak to them. I've heard stories about like Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example, where he just gets so involved talking to fans that he actually is somebody whose job is to come up and say, we need to move on. Yeah. And that to me, I, you know, I hope that's true. I've, you know, but that to me is just sounds super cool. Cause you know, who doesn't love Arnold Schwarzenegger, but anyway, there are people who are in those positions who I think really do genuinely appreciate uh, where they're at, the opportunities that they've had and, you know, they don't take it for granted. And that, uh, to me is a mark of a of a good good person just a, a genuine good human being it even leaves a a mark like through time when you when you, you know, grow older you can tell people or you can just tell people it's like yeah it was more than just a hi goodbye it was they got to tell me this story and this story or we yeah. actually actually had a conversation about something yeah i i used to do a little acting years ago very little and I had a, a part in a movie that was called A Midnight Clear. And on the breaks, when we would have meals, a bunch of these guys were unknowns at the time, but Gary Sinise was one of the characters and Ethan Hawke, he, he was the, the star. But Gary Sinise would come over and a bunch of the local actors that were there, the other actors would say, come sit with us. And he said, no, I'm gonna sit over here with the real people. And he would come and he would sit with us every day and he would ask us questions about Utah where it was, they were really good questions. He had clearly been doing his research into Utah and that sort of thing. And, and so meals were awesome because having him ask some of the questions that he did, I'm born and raised in Utah, but he helped me appreciate things that I had been taking for granted. Yes. And having it viewed through his lens just made it a little more apparent to me where to me it was just like oh yeah done that been there you know that sort of thing where I was doing that but he just made it to where I went oh that I guess that is pretty cool isn't it and that was a that was a great experience I guess I feel the same I feel the same way about like I do take I do take this land for granted some days because there we have so many beautiful hikes and some um things I didn't even know about about like Lake Powell or certain how many fossils or different or the King's Peak where King's Peak is is mm -hmm. the uh, the lady the Native American tale that's the I'm trying to remember her the story of it anyways there's a story of a Native American lady that it and if you look at the mountain on an artistic view it's a shape of her. Oh, right. Now I know what you're talking about. Tipinogus? Uh, yeah, Tipinogus. Oh, it wasn't King's Peak. Tipinogus, sorry. Um, that was my wife, by the way. 
She said that she wasn't going to be in the interview, but that's my wife, Allison. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Didn't see you there. <laughs> so, when did you... Uh, so, I noticed a little... What do you... What do you um, for schooling? What do you, what do you got for schooling? Well, I, uh, I went to West Jordan High School, and... Uh, well, I was involved in, in some uh, sports and athletics throughout my life. And uh, then I went to Westminster College where I got both my bachelor's and my master's degrees. Uh, my bachelor's, I double majored. I majored in communication with a print journalism emphasis and in philosophy with a Western traditions emphasis. So Plato, Aristotle, that sort of stuff. I, I loved that. And then I got my master's there also, a master's in professional communication with a writing emphasis. And that is basically a master's degree in technical writing. All of the coursework seemed to center around and, and refer back to technical writing. So I've done a lot of work in journalism, a lot of work as a technical writer, a lot of work in, in PR and marketing. And so a lot of that with, uh, I think the technical writing was ex actually really beneficial in writing about, uh, well, writing in general, but especially writing about science fiction, because if you're doing a lot of research into the science end of it, which I, I do, and I really enjoy that, being able to break it down so that regular people can understand it is important. And that also goes into play in fantasy, even though you don't have the science elements, but being able to break things down, say combat and being able to break it down in steps Yes. to describe it. And that, I guess, works. I get comments about how visual my writing is, how they can see the things that are, that are happening. And, and I think that a lot of that is from uh, a technical writing aspect, but you know, I was also an, an art student. And it may not be the case now, but at least when I graduated, I was the only person in West Jordan history who got the art, the, the main art award twice. The main art award? Yeah, I, I got it as a sophomore and then they changed the rules so that you had to be a senior to get it. And so then I got it again when I was a senior. That is awesome. Yeah, so I don't know if it's people have done that since then, but but I was, I loved art and my emphasis was figure drawing. And so uh, I was an art minor for one semester, but the art classes in college are so long that it just was interfering with everything else I wanted to study, so. I didn't know you drew. Yeah, yeah, I, my first, like a lot of people talk about the things when they're little kids, the things they want to do when they grow up. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to open my own comic book company. And so that I have, I, I loved superheroes. I still do. And so that was what I wanted to do. And then in sixth grade, there was a lady, uh, Mrs. Farron, Mrs. Farron, if you're out there, who she taught two of my classes. And she told me that for every writing assignment in these two classes, rather than do the actual assignment, she told me to write a chapter of a book. Okay. And so by the end of sixth grade, when I was 12, I wrote my first fantasy novel. And after I did that, I just went, oh, that's what I want to do. Because you got such a thrill out of it. And well, did you... 
I loved it. And being able to go through and, and you know, I was 12, so it was, it was a flagrant ripoff of, of Tolkien. But, you know, I, you know, if you're going to rip somebody off. But anyway, <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was that sort of thing in terms of fantasy. I drew all the maps. I still have them. I have a, it, they would cover a lot of the floor in, in your office here I if I much, laid them out. And, I can very much relate. Yeah. I do that too. And so there's a, you know, her influence was huge, her support. She saw something. I guess, and and was really encouraging. And I had a teacher in eighth grade who, my computer science teacher, but she was super encouraging. She would read my handwritten novels. And she would, you know, in my chicken scratch, she would read them and, and uh, she made arrangements for me to be an aide in computer science so I could type my books set you up yeah and so because i didn't have a computer at home nobody had a computer at home then but she made arrangements so i was an aide but i didn't i i wasn't an aide i just got to go in there every day for a class period and type and that was very cool she but she was amazingly supportive and i've, I've had several teachers throughout my life that really i feel like really went the extra mile that to, you know they saw whatever they saw and thought it was worthwhile to to encourage and and do what they could to help and I mean, even the first time I was published it was I wrote a poem when I was nine and I had a teacher in fourth grade who uh, without my knowledge she took the poem there was a contest with the local newspaper and she entered my poem in this this contest and I didn't even know and then it won and so I was published for the first time when I was nine. That is so cool. Yeah. That's such a, oh man. That was so Miss Adams, if she's out there anywhere. And having, having people like that, just, I've had a few teachers like that, that have actually are probably responsible for a lot that I do, or a lot of the good values and philosophy I'm really into, like my symbol here. Mm-hmm. And does um did you actually do the covers for for your uh, art um, books? To a certain extent, that it basically it's clip art that I went through. I've I've also been a graphic designer because of my art background, and I've been a working graphic designer for years. And so I have assembled clip art and uh, gone through and and drawn different things that on crown prints if you look on the front cover and the back cover that from front to back i didn't mean oh. for that to happen I but i hit the wrong button and that happened and i went oh yeah i'm keeping that happy accidents yeah and then this one was a lot more of uh me going through and doing a lot of, of work with the you know the paintbrush tool on order of light there's a lot more where I went in and, and, and did a lot more manipulation. And then Demon Seed again, more manipulation. A lot of different pieces that, a lot of the pieces here are in here and in here and going through that there's little bits that repeat. Well, it's the actual same artwork. And then Pale Face, uh, I went through and, and again 
with different pieces of clip art and on pale face the guy uh the person on the horse uh, in the original clip art was actually a woman so i had to make it a man and then yeah and then the person's head was in the wrong position and so that was a person's head from another piece of clip art and then the ponytail wasn't right and so i actually drew the ponytail that went in in photoshop and a lot of things like that where uh now that where i i've done the work in my books i drew the maps that uh is it, there isn't a map in that one because that's in present day but like this here Ooh. i love maps no so do i it just paints a whole like when you're playing D&D &D and you're trying to figure out where you're going from point A to point B and or if somebody provided you a map and it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much material that you could build on just oh, yeah. based on the map. This is pretty good. I, As an artist, I, I appreciate this. This is, I think you did a good job. And that was my first attempt at doing a map on the computer because I always hand drew them. And again, Dungeons and Dragons, I've been playing that since I was 10 and long time and so this as far as this story i drew the maps as an exercise i wanted to figure out a way of doing them on the computer where it would turn out in a way that i liked and how well could i replicate what i did with with pencil and paper and so the end result i was actually pretty happy with you know obviously since i'm using it but that you know, I took some different pieces of information, and that's where these the new blood saga came from. I had an idea for a character, I had these maps, and then I was having a dream, a recurring dream, and I so I took the three and wove them together into the new blood saga. Did uh, some of your influence of the I, when I look at these covers of the books, I keep thinking of Knights Templar and Demolay stuff, and then I keep thinking Ringwraiths, and then. Uh, crusader stuff and a little bit of diablo like the video game diablo well i was i am a senior dmla i was a uh, i served as a state master counselor back in the day so i was heavily involved in in the international order of dmla and uh and I'm, I'm also a master mason but a lot of the stuff that i learned and my affinity for the Knights Templar, yes, there's definitely an influence that in uh, the Order of Light, for example, is a group of, it's, a, it's an ancient order of knights. And they were called the Knights of Rill. Rill is one of the four main deities in this world. And the Knights of Rill were not only declared illegal, but they were exterminated. Were they... Uh... Were they just multiple nations or multiple um, countries mixed together of a of an order? Well, they had in the the original Knights of Rill. I have I don't go into it in terms of breaking it down that closely. Okay. However, in the revival of the Knights of Rill, well, it's illegal, so they don't call themselves the Knights of Rill. They call themselves the Order of Light. Okay, so and go, yeah. Alias. And so Order of Light is an, yeah, it's an alias for the, the organization, for the order. And they do have different groups that are spread out that are performing their, their uh, 
doing what they do in secret. And so the main character, Nathar, in the, the New Blood Saga, he is the guardian of Merrick. And what that is, is that there's a person who is chosen to guard over the nation of Merrick. Merrick is where mankind originated. It's where mankind was created. And so he, to be the, the guardian of Merrick, then he has to have sight. And so he can see the future. He can touch something and see its history in the past. And a lot of times it will grab him so strongly that it's like he, he's frozen in place. Oh. And it'll, he'll, it'll, you know, his muscles will lock and, and things like that. And he'll go into a trance-like state. And that was actually inspired by Socrates. Socrates would go into a trance-like state. He called it being seized by the demon of philosophy. And he would come out of that with some major epiphany. And so Nathar is, when that happens, he is seized by the demon of sight. And that was something, a kernel of an idea that I wanted to have in a character sometime. I came up with that in college. And so Nathar, in one of these moments, he uh, find, he's on an a old battlefield and uh, he picks up items on the battlefield. And then that's where he discovers that uh, the Order of Light exists is by seeing it that way and so then he goes to find it see i always think about like the afterlife if if um once you die and that's something i would love to be in my afterlife is being able to go throughout history and do it kind of exactly how you described it yeah it's just be able to witness and like trace everything down i've actually written something that is like that after death being able to travel through time and visit things in history and I've, I've it's not published but i've written something along those lines um it's sorry i just had a, i just had a brain fart there um these uh other i noticed you so you have these i've seen these three books here that you have and i noticed these other four here the Rilari? Rilari? Yep. Rilari, Vengeance Born, Usurper's Might, Dark Guard, and Guardian. That's the rest of the New Blood Saga. They are all written, although only the first three are published at this point. So my goal is to have one of those come out every Christmas. And last Christmas I did Demon Seed and Pale Face. Both came out in December. And having two books coming out in the same month was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time and pressure and revision and trying to get them out by Christmas. And you know, you think that after a couple books that you, you know, the ins and outs, but there are problems with getting each one of the books. There's been trouble getting them published and the problems were different on every one of them. So, uh, I'm glad I did it, but I don't know if I'm going to do two books in the same month again. But that's my goal is to have every Christmas have one of the books of the New Blood, New Blood Saga you know, released. As a, as a reader, and a, I actually listen, I, I do audiobooks. I actually kind of like it when they release a few books, or like two books, because once I finish that one and they stop at a hang or a cliffhanger a cliffhanger i 
I'm like, no, I need the next one. I have another Audible credit point. Let me use it. Yep. And I do plan on having audiobooks. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, my, <laughs> a lot of these books, when I wrote them, as I was writing them, I would read them to my wife. We, we called that her bedtime stories. And she would tell me things that sometimes she would say, I don't know if that character would say that. Or more often, she you know, I don't know if a woman would say that, which is really important because I think that that's almost arrogant for a man to think that he can write something that, that especially getting inside the head of a woman, that to me, there's, there's sort of a, an arrogance to that. And I, so having her feedback was really important. And it made me feel more comfortable with with doing that with my characters, that being able to get inside the heads of of some female characters and and having it, uh, oh, approved by my wife. This is my wife approved, and so that's what what we did. And so all eight of the the books are written, and but I you know go back and there were places where I didn't develop something because I knew that I would do it later. And so by the end of the series, then these things could go back and be woven back in. And so that's part of it where the first, you know, go round is done and they're, they're pretty solid at that point. But then there's the stuff that I, I developed in later books that I knew I was going to at least reference or, uh, you know, maybe give it a little more than just a reference in earlier books that then has to be woven in. So with, with some of the, when the, the main character that ends up touching certain items, does uh, or persons does that kind of, if you can tell, mm -hmm. um, does that kind of give a little hint and taste of the future books, kind of like a little teaser or, an, or uh, like an Easter egg, an Easter egg or potentially a lie, if, not a lie, like. If you end up going with the story and they end up taking a turn, like cheating, uh, tripping destiny, I guess. Well, yes, the, there, there are things where that's sort of the trick with that character with sight is that he has to figure out how to interpret it. And one of the things that he talks about uh, is that with sight, there have been times in his life where he has tried to prevent something horrible from happening and he, him trying to prevent it made it worse. Okay. And then there are things that he, uh, that he sees that he does misinterpret and, but they happen and it can make those when it actually happens that it is that much more, uh, crushing for lack of a better word. And so there's there's places that with this series, I was having a recurring dream for months and it would just tear me up. I would wake up with, in tears. And so then I thought, well, obviously I need to write something about this. The dream that I was having takes place in book four. Ew. And because I was going to write it and then I thought, well, I can't do that in one book. I can't get that emotional gravitas in one book so it's going to be a trilogy and then it's going to be six books and then it was eight so do you end up when you're writing these books do you end up kind of 
jumping all over the place in regard in regards to like of all the events or all the storyline is going to take place but this is going to happen in like book eight and this happens in book two and this happens like you just kind of have these ideas that came out of nowhere that would well i write them i wrote them in order and i i tend to do that i'll start here and i'll write and i don't do a lot of rearranging necessarily mm -hmm. but i have an idea of where it's going and the thing that i do is that a lot of people are just really steadfast about you have to outline your book and have your plan and that i don't outline my books i have an idea of some key events but how i get there is my when i'm writing is, is i want to i want to surprise myself hmm. if that makes sense and so if it surprises me and i'm the one writing it then it's definitely going to surprise a reader and I have had some reviews of people saying that just when you think you know where it's going, it turns. And that's what makes a TV series. And, you know, and, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff where uh, I've had things that, uh, you know, I didn't see that coming. And I say that and I wrote it. I didn't see that coming. And I, and I love that. I love that feeling. And again, if that does that to me, then it has to do the same for people reading it so i i have an idea of where it's going and every once in a while i might say i might come up with an idea and i think oh yeah that's awesome and i might go back and and weave in a little something earlier but in general i i write them from beginning to end okay um when you when you mentioned the character that was say like he interpreted wrong mm -hmm. and then just barely what you were just barely saying is I keep um, there was a TV show I just finished watching is Outlander mm -hmm. and love Outlander it's so good yeah um, we're the same concept where they're trying to prevent something from happening in the failed attempt and it ends up turning into something else yeah the, the same literary was oh, it a motif well it's definitely a trope anyway the same literary tool with him using sight is the same there with outlander with the time travel it's the same deal it's just viewed a little differently rather than actual time travel in this case it's because he saw it coming and you know and then well and again there's times where uh he'll be seized by sight and he's frozen there's a scene in in order of light where he's in search of this order and he's not sure that this person is who he's looking for he's he it's, you know because seeing this image is not as clear as he'd like so then he, he shakes her hand and he freezes and he starts seeing all this stuff and she starts to freak out because she can't get her hand out and he's turned into a statue more or less yeah and she can't get her hand out and she's yelling at this at his friend tell him to let go get him to let go and he's saying don't do anything just wait because you know if he comes out of it and what he's seeing is bad that can be bad just wait just let him <laughs> don't do upset him don't disturb him let it play out and so they're there's a lot of that where that same sort of interplay with what are you seeing and how can you uh, 
how can you make the most of it or how can you prevent it? And that's in Outlander where they're wanting to uh, try and prevent the deaths of some of their friends and, and that sort of thing in, in uh, the Revolutionary War and a lot of that, that uh, that absolutely is, is here, that uh, Nathar knows that someone who is pretty much his best friend, he knows he's not going to make it. Oh, teaser. Don't te <laughs> teaser. Yeah. yeah. And, well, he, it's it's early on in the book. That's not too much of a spoiler. But uh, but anyway, it uh, and so he has to deal with that. And that's one of the things with him is that he has to detach. He has to learn to not connect emotionally because otherwise, uh, literally, it, would, it could make him go insane. He has to... Is it mainly thinking with a logical brain, and then when he thinks about this, it almost puts him into the emotional state? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And makes him make uh, rash decisions, I assume? Well, he doesn't make rash decisions, but he talks about times that he did. You're getting Nathar, uh, the fully developed Nathar. He is, you know... He, he embodies the guardian of Merrick. He's he's it. He does it very very well, but he do, he doesn't necessarily make rash decisions. He's got a bit of a temper, but it's uh, you know the the first book is called Crown Prince because he has saved the Crown Prince, a newborn Crown Prince, with the fall of a of a of a city, and so he flees with the baby and a wet nurse, and. Uh, there's an event that puts uh, puts the crown prince in danger, you know, a few years later, and he uh, he puts on a, a pretty good display of what could have happened to this uh, young boy had that gone wrong, and he is trying to impress upon him very clearly how bad it would be, how painful, how all these things because the if he is lost then all is lost and having this child survive is so important and so the wet nurse who's still there uh, is upset at him for what he said to the you know to the crown prince and and he basically says it has to be done he cannot be doing things like that reality check yes exactly so he is not afraid to do what has to be done. And because some of those things are um, not necessarily what you think of as your, your classic sort of, of almost cliche hero. He does things that people, uh, you know, you might think, wow, that, that wasn't very cool, but I can see why he did it. But then hopefully it's like, well, if I was in the same place, I'd probably have done the same thing. But and it tries to illustrate that those things that, uh, yeah, it might have been horrible, but it had to be done. He makes those hard choices. He makes those those hard decisions. Do you have, uh, I want to say NPCs, like the characters that are like side, the side, side characters or the ones that are just kind of walking on by? Do you have some of those that just kind of... Uh, um, instead of thinking that way, saying, hey, I would have been put myself in that shoes, they're just kind of the 
antagonistic crowd that just assumes like which which you know they just blatantly think that way well there are others in the group that in crown prince at the end he makes a friend who uh his name is ellis the elder and he is a key character and he's much more prominent in in the rest of the books and one of the things with him is that he he's not a yes man but he knows enough about all this that he knows that Nathar will do the right thing no matter how hard it is and that's one of the things is that he'll often say I am so glad I'm not you because you have to make that decision you have to do that thing I am so glad I'm not you and then he's got stuff that he has to deal with on his own that's that's pretty uh pretty heavy duty I won't go into that much more because that's one of the oh yeah a big reveal in in the books but then there's other characters that when he gets together with the cha that local chapter of the order of light then they need to flee and will they flee without their families if they know that they're never coming back so the families are brought along and there are people that he brings along that do not agree with him do not like him that uh there is one character who is just uh, a really icky person that uh she well she, she's an, um, an old lady and she is just meaner than snot and a really unpleasant person and a little bit a little bit nuts is it do you do you kind of relate um that character to the main character is like a gen are they two gen different gen generations like they are if they're, if they're set in their their ways and that they are different generations yes they are different generations there's some other stuff that that you there's different places so when nathar flees there are places where because of of some of the the magic of the area time flows differently okay so things get out of joint that way and so again that that it's sort of like the time travel aspect that like you mentioned in outlander where there's places where he meets people that he that are uh you know bent and white-haired that he knew they were they grew up together and he meets them later in life and because of this stuff with time flowing differently yeah. okay and so there's uh some things like that but there you know there, there is one of the things i i try to do is that there's there's no black and white there is lots of shades of gray there are people that man i really admire that person's quality but then they do this oh just it just throws a uh a, what is it called a, a wrench in the wrench in the cock yep yep a little there's bit of that yeah a little bit of that and and again just nobody's perfect and i try to reflect that 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 nobody's perfect that everybody is doing the best they can um one of the things with the whole series is that you know one of the things i hope that people see is for example the value of loyalty the value of, of you know some real friendship the 
And then on the other hand, that life can be really hard and you can endure and you can overcome and those types of things. And, and pale face has a lot of that also that, that he in pale face, Hector Whitehorse did not want to be a celebrity did not want to be famous, didn't, definitely didn't want to become sort of the poster child for aliens among us. <laughs> and so, and it affects him, the loss of privacy, the paranoia because of government stuff he, that uh, get insinuating its way into his life. And B, he... And it goes from where he, he wanted to live more of a private life to being thrust in public. But then when he's not in the limelight, he is totally cut off. There's a, there's a place in um, Seattle. It's the, um, where you get to tour all the uh, displays. You get to tour all the displays of all the stuff that's played in movies and played in... Um, other stuff mm -hmm. it's just like you have terminator and maybe a lord of the rings and all mm -hmm. that but they have a table in in the center of one of the rooms that talks about which character are you and when you describe um the pale face character is he kind of like an aragorn type of person where he not in the books but in the movies where he's um he doesn't want the power he doesn't want to be king and he just he's he's like okay well i guess i'm doing a good job nightning <laughs> yeah well uh I get that. Yeah, the, the, there is something to that with with Hector Whitehorse, where he, I mean, even when he goes public, he didn't do that willingly. You know, he, he basically was kind of painted into a corner, and he doesn't want to be that person. He doesn't want to be the one that people are looking at, and part of that is also due to uh, you know some racial issues. And there, uh, you know, even the title of the book, Pale Face, it kind of turns that term on its ear because the aliens have very pale skin and he references them as pale faces and then he stops and he kind of laughs and it's like, pale face. <laughs> and, but it, it uh, and that's one of the comments that uh, Dave Wolverton made about it he said pale face is pretty darn good i love how hector sees the aliens and the white men in the same light and that is pretty cool and i can imagine what's his face from uh the national geographic He's like aliens i forgot his name the crazy haired guy that <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if i can say the name but anyway um, I had another question for you. So I've been, I read, um, you mentioned earlier, like the fame, uh, guy that you met and you you, uh, went and nerdy on, or not nerdy, um, went crazy to me. Um, oh, um, talking but, about the author that, I, that, uh, yeah. So for, for me, I would love to meet, um, the authors who wrote the world of Warcraft series and, B.V. Larson writes all the Undying Mercenaries that mm -hmm. I've uh, read. When, for your, for your I, what I'm trying to get at is, when I read all the World of Warcraft stuff, I, play, or I played World of Warcraft, 
and I was able to see all the landscapes that uh, playing well playing the game. But then when I read the books, I didn't. Some of the characters I had no idea what their faces looked like, so I imagined them in my head of who they would look like and. Um, for celebrities that already exist, I kind of picked which celebrity would fit best if there were going to be a movie in there. Um, same with like B, uh, like BB Larson's Undying Mercenaries. I felt um, it was so much better for me to imagine what they look like, and then when I played like World of Warcraft, I get to see the characters. I'm like, I like my image better, what they look like. So my question is, um, for some of the either the antagonist antagonistic characters the the bad guys or and your main character do you have an an idea of what actors and actresses you would pick if they were end up if it ended up being the tv show well yes the, the i did an interview where someone asked me who i would cast and it was it kind of blew my mind because then I really applied myself and said, well, let's let's find actors and cast uh, the new Blood Saga. It is really hard. I still haven't finished. But going through and, and picking some of those characters, then uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name. But the uh, Jamie and Outlander, uh, Sam Hugan. Oh, OK. I could see him being Nathar. And another character, you know, and if not uh, him, uh, you know, maybe even it could be him, could be like a Chris Hemsworth, or maybe Chris Hemsworth could be Ellis. Is Chris Hemsworth the... Wait, Thor. Thor, yeah. Did you say Ellis? Oh, Ellis. Ellis uh, yeah. the Elder, yes. The, one of the characters in the New Blood Saga. Did you name Ellis after Ellis? No. <laughs> I do um, try to do a little inclusion of people that are important to me that you know ellis is one of my uh one of my best friends since you know as a teenager and so i did uh give a little nod to to one of my good friends when i took you know at least the ellis part of that name and then the ellis the elder was more about the character itself but yes i i i do do that i have uh characters that are you know, maybe their name or a part of their name is sort of an homage to, uh, you know, people that I've I've uh, grown up with, family members. I do do that, and I don't think I'm alone in doing that. But no. uh, but yes, uh, you know, Ellis has been a very important person in my life, and so a very important person in this book series. He's important. Yep. He's important to me too. Yeah, all my non-related uncle. Yep. Yep. He's been a he was holding me while my dad was playing Warcraft too. <laughs> he came over. Ellis, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> so that's a nod to you that you didn't know about. So now buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> so is uh do you know the color personalities? The like the, the red, blue, mm -hmm. yellows and whites? Is uh is your Ellis a yellow personality? Um. Oh, I guess that's. I don't know if that's. A, I'm sorry. If it's a spoiler question, say redacted. Well, <laughs> skip the question. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would want you to be more specific to answer the question. Is Ellis the Elder 
is he kind of goofy. Well, and makes dirty jokes. <laughs> he he does have a sense of humor, and so there is some of that. That he is he has a very noble character, but he does have a sense of humor. Okay, okay, okay. I'm thinking some Gandalf thing. Well, you know, in a lot of the fantasy series, they have their characters. They're kind of their Gandalf series. They're mm -hmm. a Gandalf character. And so, you know, of course, Tolkien had Gandalf. And then uh, Brooks had Alanon, who's a druid, and uh, Terry Brooks. Well, Ellis is an engineer. Okay. So that's a little different spin again. But he is that type of character, that type of archetype. Just quirk, quirky and in his own little way, and he's able to but, think. But brilliant. Okay. I, I can kind of see. That's what brings the flavor. Well, brings the flavor to book series, is, um, especially when there's a twist to it. I, mm -hmm. I think of Game of Thrones. It's like, oh, happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love the Game of Thrones and that whole series I was reading years before there was anything on, on TV. And uh, he is one of one of my, uh, yeah, I'll say inspiration. That there are characters who die and my wife is terribly upset still about some things that happen and that she will pull up memes all the time about how writers killing characters and how evil they are and stuff like that she shows them to me as soon as she finds them and uh but yes there are things that that you know bad things do happen to good people and that happens in life and that happens in in you know in the worlds that i create also that's one of the things that i i describe my fantasy i i fantasy writing is i call it realistic fantasy that there's a lot of fantasy stuff out there that is just so oh i don't know the world is perfect and life is happy and magic is wonderful and you know it's just it's too it's too light i guess and so my stuff the magic is more subdued it's not like fireworks and bad things happen there are some bad guys that you love to hate yeah but then they also yeah. have redeeming qualities i still think of uh what's his face the purple wedding joffrey it's like you have characters that just have zero redeeming qualities yes it's like there's nothing nice about you <laughs> yeah they're okay so He's an exception because he, he really has no, no redeeming qualities but in you know Martin's Game of Thrones series. But on the other hand, I was reading about uh, about drama and it was I think it was Stephen R. Donaldson was writing about writing. And one of the things that he said was that the definition of drama is that you have in every story, you have your hero, your villain, and your victim. And the definition of drama is how those three people change roles i see okay. and that is what makes it dramatic and so there is there are elements of that in that you know that was influential on me so i have characters that they do 
change those roles or they might change and come back. A lot of that does happen. And in terms of Martin in the Game of Thrones, then, of course, the the epitome of that is uh, is Jamie Lancaster. Where he is. Uh, oh, man. At the beginning, you just hate him. There's yeah. nothing. And then he starts changing and becoming almost, you know, humbled, humbled and just having a change of heart. And that really does epitomize that concept, I think. And so I, I, I try to, to that, that is a tool that I think is really, you know, effective in writing. Is the other effective thing in writing, which is my pet peeve, is like watching Outlander or Game of Thrones or characters that know each other or they know like mutual people and they're like something happens to one person, but it could have been prevented if they just communicated. There's so much communication failure. Where it's like, oh, by the way, if I told you this, this whole line of episodes wouldn't even happen. Yeah, people make mistakes. And the other thing is that, you know, I, I have characters that they have arguments. They get in fights. And there are things where you as the reader, you know the reason behind it. And then they're fighting and you're like, oh, that's not what they meant. But now they're angry and they're going down that path. And you're like, oh, you it's guys. Like it's like, no, baby, come back. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, so do you have any pet peeves about anything? Like, things that have stumped you or things that have just irritated you during the whole process of writing the book? Like, In terms of writing, the... There have been times where it's like, well, okay, I can't continue on this path until I do some research. I've gone as far as I can because I don't, if I keep going and I have it wrong. Somebody's going to call you out. Then, yeah, or it just won't work. And, you know, and that's one of those things that when I was in college, I actually loved that. When I'd be writing a paper and then I'd get to a certain point. So, whoa, I was wrong. I have to start over. But I appreciated that I was finding out that, oh, yeah, I wish I hadn't uh, shot off my mouth to those people about that because I was up in the night. But uh, there, so there are point, points when I was writing these where I say, okay, that would be one of those moments where I, I mentioned that I would, I knew I was going to come back and flesh it out because I'd get to a point where that's going to take more work and I don't want to do it right now because things are flowing and so I'll skip a little bit there and then knowing I'm going to come back and give it, you know, some extra, uh, some extra love. Um, but the writing part isn't, I mean, the writing is the joy. That's the best part is the writing. Editing is grinding, uh, grueling, tedious, and I edit my own work and that is the hardest kind of editing. And so, because, you know, as the author, I know what I was meaning to say. Yeah. And so reading my stuff to my wife then helped because if you read it out loud, that's one of the things that, you know, I've been teaching college for 25 years. One of the things I tell my students is read it out loud because your ear will pick things up that you won't pick up just looking at the screen. And so reading my stuff to my wife would help me pick these things up. 
but still, you know, that's the, the, that's grueling marketing. My work is, uh, I do have a, a pretty strong marketing background, but this is a different market. And so I have to, I've been having to learn how to do that. And things have, uh, you know, changed in some ways that one of the things with, uh, like social media and one of the things is that I resisted a lot of the stuff with social media because having students in my class during class being on whatever platform they were on rather than paying attention was a pet peeve. And so just out of stubbornness, I resisted going into those areas. Well, now I'm in them and it is effective and it does have an influence. And so in that case, just out of stubbornness, I was uh hurting myself for a little while but you know it's part of the learning how to do it and and i wish that i hadn't done that but you know bummer <laughs> you I, just got to keep moving on and make things work in a sense i can relate because i cannot skip myself to ever go on tiktok whenever i especially with my coworkers, they're um not all of them okay not throwing anybody under the bus just this <laughs> In the past, I feel people are so sucked into watching dumb videos or just videos in general where it just eats away your time and you're letting the Chinese have all the information you want on, on you. Um, but there are a lot of people getting very popular because of TikTok because people just look swiping, swiping, sending to somebody and just little clips of stuff. But I guess my arrogance is, or stubbornness is, I can't waste my time like that. Well, I haven't gotten onto TikTok yet. It's nothing against TikTok itself. I just haven't gotten there. And, you know, and one thing that, that with marketing my, my books and that sort of thing, I put a lot of time in. And I'll put in one to sometimes four hours a day. And so, you know, doing this stuff uh, yourself, then who, there's, who does that responsibility fall on? You. You. So I put a lot of time into that. And, and with learning, you know, I've worked in marketing in a lot of different fields, but not this one specifically. And so I've had to learn it. And that uh, sometimes takes time. I've done things that, you know, whoops, guess I shouldn't have done that. You know, the, there are just some mistakes along the way. And luckily, nothing has been too expensive or, you know, you know, damaging that way. And so, you know, I, I, I had a pretty good foundation to work from. But uh, the influence of social media has been more significant than I realized. And but at the same time, it's. I've had people claiming, making claims that I haven't seen that. So I think it's somewhere in the middle, but, uh, but there's value to, to, you know, a lot of these social media platforms and, uh, in terms of, of just getting the word out, but also in terms of making connections with people for podcasts, people for, uh, interviews, for blogs that I wouldn't have come in contact with these people if not for some of these social media platforms. So, you know, there's, it's not just getting the word out about 
a book. It's making contacts that can then get the word out to a broader audience. And that's, you know, for example, if it wasn't for Facebook, there's a radio station in the UK that I've been interviewed five or six times now. That was off of Facebook. Was that the this one whatever it takes was that the uh, that one was in india <laughs> india and that crazy. was that was also facebook and that but yeah that was isn't that crazy yeah i was on a podcast out of india and so i've had uh, a couple out of canada that one was out of india i've had the radio station in the uk a radio station out of new hampshire all of those wouldn't have been possible. They, how would we know uh, if not for you know, some of these social media platforms that uh, the power of the internet, you know? And so uh, some of these, uh, well, and then just my very first interview was with a woman who I, I believe was from Africa, but now she's living in Canada. And so, uh, you know, that was interesting and that was on zoom. And one of the reasons that, uh, I didn't get a lot of parts acting was when it came to the screen test, watching myself, I don't like it. Yeah. And so in that first interview, it's on zoom. So I'm, I'm being interviewed, but I'm looking at myself. Feel self-conscious. Yeah. I don't like it. You're and like, my hair, my hair. Well, or just, you know. Oh no, <laughs> what's, what's wrong with my nose and you know, whatever. Yeah. And so there I did that first interview and someone asked me, was I reading from something? I was like, no, I just wasn't looking at myself. So I was looking below the screen Oh. and people thought it looked like I was reading, but I wasn't, I was just not making eye contact with myself. Cause if you think about that, that's pretty unnatural. Oh yeah, yeah. That it's it's a weird experience. Like just picking up the new, like doing this podcast stuff. It's little quirks you kind of pick up when the first interviews you do. It's like shouldn't I have said that? Why did I do that? Okay, I will probably not say that next time. And then you get the negative comebacks. You're like, should I take this to heart or should I just be nonchalant? I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, and that's the thing too, is that if you're doing something that's being viewed by the public, then you have to be thick skinned. Yes. And working in journalism, it's essential because you can, I mean, even in college on the college paper, uh, writing stuff, we had a professor who, I mean, for lack of a better word, she hated us. We would get hate mail from this English professor every other week. And so when we got a, and this was not email days, this was, you would get a letter through campus mail from her. And so you'd see it and be like, oh, and we'd all groan or be passing it around. You open it, you open it. Cause nobody wanted to hear how she was just gonna, you know, tear into us. And then I did a review of uh, Mel Gibson's Hamlet, which was great. And if you haven't seen it, see it. Um, he plays Hamlet differently than I've seen anywhere else. I, I always felt like Hamlet was a whiner. I thought so too. And, but Mel Gibson, I don't, he plays him much more like a heroic character. So I did the review and then 
we got a letter from that professor and it was addressed to me specifically, not just the newspaper. And I was like, oh, crap. And I hadn't even opened it. And I knew it was going to be. And then I opened it up. And it's the only time I ever saw her praise something in the newspaper. And she just liked my review for whatever reason. And uh, She's got a thing for Mel Gibson. I, well, okay. <laughs> that might be the case. And maybe I just got to benefit from that. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that as an explanation. <laughs> Do you, um, with all the letters she wrote, um, can you, were you able to decipher between constructive criticism or her just running her mouth? Or just like, just people being keyboard or paper letter warriors? Well, some of it, she was, most of what she complained about was style. And the thing is, is that different fields have different style guides and this is one of the things as a technical writer is that if when i was editing and doing writing for specific journals well depending on the field that it's in it has a different style guide and so in newspaper we we used ap style which is associated press style but she probably was using chicago style which is a little different and right now with uh, my students, a lot of times they use APA style, which is American Psychological Association. And I don't know why that is. That's not a generalized style book. I always wondered what that meant. Yeah. Cause they always told us to use it in this style. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but there's the button. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I've done stuff where I've been writing for medical journals or editing for medical journals and the, the AMA style guide holy crap there's stuff in there that they require that's really hard and makes no logical sense and i i don't know it's almost like they made it so hard just to make it harder to publish like it was just as a an obstacle deliberately set to make it where you would get thrown out is is that how uh, like terms and conditions or like contracts are written then well they're um, a lot of stuff in terms of legal contracts, then there are uh, style guides that, that deal with that. And then, see, law is a whole other animal because there's a lot of legal terminology that is just, a lot of it's Latin and a lot of it is, uh, for lack of a better word, it's kind of industry specific. And so, for example, uh, if you are being an interpreter for the courts, you can be fluent, but then you still can't translate the legalese. And so I had a a project where I was writing a training manual for a government agency that dealt with courts. Oh man, talk about pain. Dealing with, and a lot of the stuff in the courts is designed to make it too hard because then uh, you're not wasting the court's time with stuff that's ridiculous because they make you have to be really you have to really really want to do it to go through all this crap in order to bring something to court and i had to document how to do all this stuff all these things that are just so labor intensive and time intensive and and it was a beast and in the end it was actually uh when i was getting my masters you i could do a thesis or a field project it was my field project and in the end they i didn't finish but they said you know 
this is better than anything we've ever had. We're good. You're awesome. Thank you. I'm like, but I didn't get all the way through the process. And they're like, yeah, it's okay. This is more than we've ever had. And so they, the last I knew they were still using it, but it was again, um, it was on par with the medical stuff as far as the difficulty and the things that, why, why do I have to do it like this? Why do I have to say it like that? And it, and the answer is because we told you to, those are the rules. Because we told you to. Yes. And that's how we want it. And there's no logic. It just, you know, there, there might be, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I find, I find them dead. I actually, for some reason, enjoy reading terms and conditions. Because uh, there was one time I was playing Elder Scrolls online, but I had to wait for the download. And that was three hours of my time because they give you a giant thing to download. Anyways, while I was waiting, I was looking at the terms and conditions, and I was reading that anything that you submit to them with all their wording is anything you submit, media, art, music, or any letters, is now owned by them. Yes. Same goes for Instagram. Whatever you post up on there is now owned by them. You can um, fact check me, anybody, but... um, I'm going to say allegedly, because I don't know everything. But anyways, as I was reading that, it's pretty much not owned by you. There is a lot of stuff in terms and conditions. And and again, as a technical writer, I've had to write these things. And I had a deal that uh, I was writing a proposal to develop this huge software uh, project. And it was to do... It was, it was largely database driven, so on. You know, I won't get into the details of that. But I was writing the proposal because I also did proposal writing. And when it came to the warranty, they wanted a warranty, which is not always the case. But they, the government agency that I was writing the, the proposal for wanted a warranty. So then we went to the developers and said, I need a warranty because I... I can't just do this out of thin air. So they gave me a warranty and then I read it and I went to the people in charge and it says, and I told them this warranty says they're not going to support the product once it's sold. And they said, what do you mean? And I pointed out the area where it was, it was embedded and it was in there where you have to really read it closely to know. And they went, Oh, well, what do you think about that? And I said, I wouldn't agree to that. And then they went back and they said, oh, that's just how it's done. We're like, okay. And then we didn't get the project. And the thing that they said was the reason why was that. So it pretty much voids the whole idea. Yeah. They're saying, yeah, we'll give it to you and it'll be working. But if it stops working, then you're going to have to pay us. It's not me. It's you. Yeah. And so, and a lot of that. So I do read a lot of stuff and because of, I don't know what it is. If you... So a lot of times if you have things that need to be assembled, I actually read the instructions because I used to write the instructions. <laughs> and so I'll read them because I know what goes into it. And, uh, you know, a, a place where I was working, working as a technical writer, if tech support was all busy, then sometimes I had to take calls. And I'd had people on the phone just really upset and they can hear me flipping through pages. 
And they're saying, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking through the manual. It's not in the manual. I've been through that from cover to cover. And I said, well, I know it's in the manual because I wrote it. I just can't. Yeah. Just give me a second. I know it's in here. And then tell them what page. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty clear. And then that ends the call. But I've had that happen where it's not in there. I've read that from cover to cover. It's like, well, it is in there because I wrote it and I know it's in there. Which brings me back to when you're talking about uh, your wife and just having a spouse is when when I do artwork or anything it, or just uh, it sounds good in my brain so I either draw it out or I tell her uh, tell her about it and it's like oh I didn't think about that that or I always miss something and for those people to like I've read the cover to cover it's like I know what I'm talking about oh wait all right, I'll take accountability and humble myself. I am so sorry. Have a good day. Bye. Well, not that I wish that happened more than it actually did where they did that. But Usually it's like, oh, click. But but you're right about, you know, having my wife being my sounding board that all the time that she'll bring up stuff that I don't think that character would say that. Or uh, sometimes I think you went too far. And it's like, okay, too far, too soon, sometimes. Or sometimes, no, that's just too much. Okay. And then some of the stuff with designing covers. I've been working on the cover for book four for Rilari. And even though as an art student, I'm slightly colorblind. Oh. Telling shades apart is hard. And I never, I got away with it I, for the most part. I think you did a good job. And, well, and thank, thank you. But if you notice, there's a monochrome quality. Yes. And that helps me because uh, I can tell primary colors apart, but telling certain shades apart is really hard. And so working on book four, I would ask her to look at it, and she say it needs to be more... It needs to be more like this, more this, this way. Or, and, and sometimes I would get frustrated and, and she, she'd say, I, I hate helping you with that because you get mad. And it's like, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm, not, I'm frustrated with myself because I spent all these hours on that. But I didn't know I was going in the wrong direction because I can't tell that that's this. And so as an art student, there were years for a big space of years where I worked in pen and ink or in pencil because there were not shades of color to deal with yeah i did too and so my advanced art teacher uh, miss winger if you're out there um i think she figured it out she said i had to do work in color so the next thing i did i did in sepia tone it was monochrome but it was brown and so she's like that's not color and i said yes it is that is not pencil. And she said, all right, you'll get away with it on this one, but never again. And so what she did to help was that she had me do stuff in Prisma, uh, Prismacolor, which are colored pencils that are oil-based, mm -hmm. and they have numbers on them. And she would tell me what numbers to use in what part. And I could do that. But it, being able to come up with it on my own was, was very, very hard. And so... Those are some of the challenges as far as art and graphic design. I do a lot of stuff with 
with those types of things that have some pretty extreme contrast because it has to be more extreme contrast for me to tell the difference. And we were looking at doing some repainting in the house. We were at a store and she, she points at one area of paint chips, you know, like they have at Home Depot or something. Mm -hmm. And then there's one next to it. And she said, do you like this one or do you like this one? And I started to laugh and she turned and looked at me and I said, oh, they're different? Yeah. <laughs> So you go, you go look at your house, you're like, that's that's tan, that's not white. I'm actually yeah. looking at my room now, and now I see tan and white. Well, and there are <laughs> certain areas of the spectrum that it's really hard, and she likes to uh, tease me about that and stuff. And, and sometimes I'll be wearing things that don't match, and I can't tell until I'm in sunlight. And there's a shirt that I always thought was gray, and then we got into... Uh, some place where it had just really good lighting and I realized it's actually green. But I thought it was gray for years. You wear two different kinds of socks too? Not on purpose, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, there was one time, it, uh, I was a state champion in boxing. And so I did a speech about boxing in school, in uh, junior high. And so I showed some video uh, of when I took state. And these girls are laughing and it's really getting under my skin because I'm doing a speech and, and it's, it's me that's up there and stuff. I'm really nervous and, and all that. And they're, they're giggling and it just, it's really upsetting me. And so I'm just gritting my teeth and gutting my way through it. And it got to the point where the teacher intervened and the teacher said, what are you laughing at? And one of them said, his socks don't match. And then did everyone start else? And then laughing? everybody laughed, and then it was over. But they, it was those shades I couldn't tell. And here I am showing this video to the class. And because my shot, my socks don't match, then it disrupted my whole presentation and traumatized me because I'm still talking about it this many years later. But no, that's just how it is. That's the cool thing about having uh, bad experiences. Is uh finding your way away from it and then finding something a better place and in that case it was uh sweat socks that don't have colored stripes on them <laughs> all white because i can figure out what that is i uh so i have four pairs of four sets of socks one i accidentally took from my sister's because she wears the same socks I do, but but the difference is, is hers are softer and hers has writing on the front of it, but it's faded. It's just as dark as the sock itself. So I'm like, oh, this is comfy. Why does this feel different? <laughs> <laughs> and I do it all the time. Yep. Um, we're coming up on our time here. Um, so I started a new thing for all these shows, and it's way off topic. But what are your local favorite restaurants? Oh, well, here in Salt Lake, my favorite, probably my favorite kind of food is Greek. And so, uh, I really like Greek souvlaki and there are a few locations of that around. It's kind of fast food, but it's not really, cause it's pretty difficult to do fast food. That's, you know, Greek. Um, I do like. Well, it's a Greek burger place, but I like Apollo Burger. 
And uh, if you have ever been to Apollo Burger, get the Utah Burger because it has pastrami, bacon, and gyro meat on the burger. And that's one of those things that uh, life is good. You have one of those and life is good. I'll have a gut bone right after. That, uh, no, no, it's, it's just takes me to my happy place. And my wife loves Mexican, which uh, we love um, La Puente, La Luna, uh, La Frontera. Those are all, uh, all good. Um, La Luna, if it's not on the menu, but if you get Chili Colorado at La Luna and you cannot, I can tolerate heat. I like spicy food. If I'm sweating and my nose is running and my mouth is red, you know, an inch around my lips, life is good. But the Chili Colorado at La Luna does challenge me. Take and, you to the next level. Yep. And so that is one of those things that's not on the menu but if you ask for it you can have it they might try to do a disclaimer or warn you but uh but i i uh i like all of that and are there any of my other favorites that you can think of <laughs> oh it's cool yeah, my <laughs> wife is saying i'm not on this show <laughs> but i i love to cook and I love good food. I love, uh, I've been working on trying to, to master Asian cooking because it's just a little different. Yeah. I think I do some good Greek. I do some good Italian. I, uh, I can even do a little, you know, I love Cajun, um, except in Utah, finding a Cajun restaurant is next to impossible. Yeah, I don't know of any. Yeah, there, there have been some that have come, come and gone, and they were awesome, but they're gone. Um, and so... You know, I, I can cook. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back with that. I can cook. Asian is different. And there are some things that, uh, reading the recipes that I think, why? But it, then I do it, and it makes a difference. If you uh, watch um, on YouTube, Uncle Roger. Okay, um, I'm not familiar with that he, one. I'll have to try that. He's a comedian, but he's also... He, he's a, a huge food critic, and he also makes fun of some other British cooks and whatnot. He makes fun of Gordon Ramsay. He makes fun of uh, um, that other guy. That's whatever. Anyway, um, but learning the styles like cooking Vietnamese food or using the wok or how much, how much MSG you're pouring in <laughs> or yeah. using the techniques. that It's very entertaining, and it makes me hungry every time. Yeah, yeah, and I, well, in one of my little side projects is I do a little bit of blogging on foodutah.com. It's one of my little side things. It's not getting the love that it deserves, but, you know, there's some reviews, there's some recipes, there's some stuff. I wrote an article about the secret of the uh, bay leaf because I could, you know, it kept coming up in recipes and I didn't get it. And in Italian cooking, bay leaf, bay leaf, bay leaf. It's like, it doesn't do anything. And then I did some research and then started looking for the stuff that in this article. And I was like, yes, it does do something. Yeah. And it made me happy. And that's, that's a good thing. I love uh, finding the, um, the benefits of all the herbs and spices, what it does to you as a health wise. Mm -hmm. Um, 
speaking of your blog and whatnot, before we end the show, um, what are where can people find your books? How can they purchase them? And anything about you they'd like to find out about you? Well, kind of the communication hub for all of this, my life dream <laughs> is uh, killpack.net. That's K-I-L-P-A-C-K dot net. And it has information about all my books. It has information about me, if, if you care. It has photos where people send me pictures of, of themselves holding my books. That just came out of the blue. Didn't see that coming, but it's awesome. Um, have You can become a member where you receive newsletters. You just click on membership and become a member of the Knights of Rill. And it has purchase links that are right there on the left side of the homepage. It's got uh, banner ads and links if you want to get it on Amazon. If you want to get ebook for the Nook or for Kobo, then it's there. But that is the hub. Everything radiates out from killpack.net. Okay, right on. Do you uh, you have stuff on? Looks do you have stuff on Amazon? The the paperback and uh, for uh, ebook is on Amazon. And whenever I get to doing the audiobook, then uh, that'll be, you know, on, on Audible and all that. That's another thing I'm going to have to figure out. But it does have sample readings. I've done some sample readings from each of my books that, yeah, that's actually me, for better or for worse. My wife says that I need to do the reading on my audiobooks. And I think she's biased because I'm her husband, but... I've had other people say that they liked my readings that are totally unrelated. So maybe that's not bias. Maybe you're just good at it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, is there any other sites you can, uh, um, or anything else you'd like the listener to know? But um... Well, there's links there for all kinds of social media platforms. If you want to follow me, uh, friend me, whatever the things are, um, then I've got links at the bottom of the, of the, uh, of the homepage and on the about pages there are a lot of places where you can find me on goodreads amazon bookbub uh, uh the new one is pinterest uh twitter instagram there's a lot of stuff there that you know whatever floats your boat then i hope that i've got it on there if you're interested and uh you know i i try to have some fun with it and try to make it uh, interesting for people where you're not just seeing the same thing over and over and and uh, you know that I try to have some fun with it that you know if you're gonna do this it's a lot of work and so if it's a lot of work and you're not enjoying it it's not worth it yeah. so you got to have fun you got to be able to enjoy it and and people the the readers have been amazing having people send me photos and videos where they joined and I sent them the vows of the Knights of Rill and they videoed themselves reciting the the vows and sent them to me. Got some fans. I posted some of them. Some of them I didn't. Some of them there were some legal issues that uh, playing music in the background that I don't own the rights to. Uh, you know, I can't post those and uh, stuff like that. But it, it's just awesome. And that was one of those things that just happened. And I thought, well, that's a, that's awesome. Let's see if anybody else will do it. And then they did. That is so cool. And a lot of it is very organic. And so I'm trying to have fun with it. And, and I've had people tell me that there's a lot of fun stuff on there. And 
And so, uh, you know, that, that it's like a hope it's a place where we can all play. Right on, right on. Hey, I am looking forward to eventually reading your books and hopefully eventually listening to them. I really appreciate you having on the sh being on the show, man. This is awesome. Well, I've really enjoyed it. This is uh, a lot of questions and directions that I haven't been taken on before, so that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm looking. Um, I'm excited for you to keep going. I'm excited for you to release these books. You're. This is just. This is badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. Well, I hope you have a good night, and um, thank you all for listening.